0: And welcome into another episode of the Swarmcast, part 24-7 sports, HawkeyeInsider.com. David Eichel, along with Sean Bach. Sean, a little bit more of a less dramatic week than I think last week, but there's still plenty to talk about. Obviously, the NFL draft's coming up. Uh, we're on quarantine day. I, I don't even know at this point. Uh, it's kind of just all kind of runs together. But, uh, you know, Sean, we got, we got plenty, of, plenty to talk about. So I guess we'll just, uh, let's kind of just dive right into it. Uh, you know, r- right after the season, I-, I put out a Twitter poll uh, about what Iowa fans should expect or what what do they expect for the next basketball season. The football edition will be coming out next week uh, when I do that write-up. But basketball-wise, Sean, I'll tell you what, it- I don't think expectations have ever been higher for this Iowa basketball team. Uh, maybe since maybe since the 1980s, I really don't know, but just based on the talent level, they had back then and kind of where they continued to place back then maybe but you know over 50 percent of people expect a sweet 16 and I think it was about 31 32 percent expect an Elite eight next year I mean yeah we all know it's way too early we all know what the national pundits think uh but it's it's kind of interesting to gauge what you know Iowa fans are thinking I mean I got I got pretty decent responses on the on the poll too of like 1300 people respond to it but uh Sean what do you kind of make of those numbers
1: yeah, I mean, when you have all those guys coming back, you kind of got to look at it like, okay, you have Luca Garza most likely who is who nat- was a runner-up for national player of the year. Many think he should have been national player of the year. Okay, that automatically probably puts you in the top 25 no matter who else is coming back around him. But you look at and you're like, okay, Jordan Bohannon's going to be back, um, C.J. Frederick, Joe Wieskamp, um and just all those other guys are coming back too, being back in the fold. And you're like, okay, not only is Garza coming back, but you got some of the main contributors from last year's so, team. You know, I mean, they're definitely gonna miss a guy like Ryan Creener who comes off the bench and really fills that garbage man type role, does a little bit of everything, does it well, but they have all their scoring coming back. The one thing that's gonna be gonna be huge for them though is defense, as we all know. Iowa's defense what has been improved since their let since their abysmal year two years ago where they had a losing record. Um and were one of the worst defensive teams in the country. But there's still some holes that they're gonna have to fix in that regard. And that's where I mean, like you said, Dave, it's still really early, but that's where I'm kind of holding back on this team and the expectations. I think I think they'll be a top twenty-five, top twenty team, probably top fifteen. But what's kind of holding me back from maybe considering them like a top ten or a legitimate national title contender is their defense i think there's some there's still there's still some it's and pieces that kind of amount to bigger problems that they have to fix in order mm-hmm. to really to be considered an ncaa title contender in my book
0: yeah you know it's one of those things too and i do want to clear up the
1: numbers it was 51
0: percent sweet 16 39 elite eight or better i just kind of wrapped it together eight percent tournament appearance and two percent and miss the ncaa tournament um First of all, I don't know why anyone would expect Iowa to miss the NCAA tournament with the team they have next year, but that's besides the point. Obviously, Joe Lenardi and a couple other brackets have Iowa as a two or three seed hanging in next year. But, you know, I do agree with you to some extent. I think the defense needs to be a top 65, top 70 defense, which still is not great. But Iowa's offense and the potential it has next year, assuming everyone's healthy, everyone comes back. Because we're not sure Luka Garza comes back yet, obviously. Uh, I do believe I believe he will, but he is declared he is in the NFL, uh, NBA draft right now um, to kind of get evaluated by teams. But again, no live workouts, very limited time to meet with with certain teams and a gonna have to take a flyer on him. It's a weird year in terms of fringe NBA guys going to the draft or not. But Luca comes back. I thought he showed an improvement defensively. But like you mentioned, I think that Iowa is just going to have to really buckle down defensively if they want to and they want to take that next step. And that's where I think a guy maybe like Jack Nunge could be a big help. Obviously, Iowa loves to run that four-guard lineup with Connor McCaffrey, Joe Wieskamp, C.J. Frederick, and, uh, you know, now with Jordan Bohannon back in the fold. Uh, but Jack Nungy, you know, he's capable of hitting some threes. He's got good size. I'm really interested to see how he comes back from that torn ACL because I do think that his best basketball is ahead of him. And I think Luca Garza talked on uh, Jeff Goodman's podcast earlier this week. You did a write-up on it. Where CJ Frederick and Jack Nungey were arguably the two best players sometimes in summer workouts. Like they, those guys just balled out. So a lot of Iowa players do feel like Jack Nungy really has not been able to, to show what he can do on the floor. Obviously, off the slow start last year was starting to put together. And it's always tough coming off a redshirt year and kind of transforming your body. Uh, but then obviously the injury happened and he never really got that chance. So I'm interested to see what he brings to the fold. Obviously, Patrick McCaffrey. Is expecting to play, as far as I'm told. Obviously, dealing with residual health effects following his cancer battle back when he was four, uh, 13, 14 years old. Uh, but he'd be a nice boost. I love him as kind of a Swiss Army knife guy. Does a little bit of everything. Makes winning plays, and as nice a kid off the, uh, off the floor as he is, he's just as fiery as Connor on the floor. He is a you know it kind of runs in the family. Very deep competitor. So, like you mentioned, I think there's a lot of questions about it, but. Iowa's offense is going to be one of the scariest and versatile in the country. I mean, if you have shooters like – if you have Joe Wieskamp, C.J. Frederick, Jordan Bohannon, and Luca Garza on the floor all together, man, that's a – I mean, that's a really tough guard for, for any team, and I think that's a, a nightmare in terms of trying to plan out your scouting report. Who do you want to double? Well, who do you want to leave open on the perimeter if you go double Luca Garza? If you try to double somebody on the perimeter, do you really want to have Luca Garza go one-on-one against your big? My guess is probably not based on what he did this year. So there's a lot of different factors, but I'm interested to see what, you know, what kind of happens over the next couple of months.
1: Yeah, I'm, like you, Dave, I mean, obviously a lot of optimism as we've discussed the past couple of minutes and really the past like couple of months ever since the season ended abruptly. Um, but I'll, I'm, I'm interested to see with the freshman class, I mean, you have a five-man class coming in not necessarily a high-ranked class, but guys that I think can really, really turn, I wouldn't say turn a program around, but really can keep that culture and that momentum going. Um, As we talked about last week too, obviously with everything going on with the, some of the top prep players in the country going pro to the G league with that option being available now, I think these four-year guys, four-year, five-year guys are that much more important. And that's what the guy, that's the type of guy Iowa recruits. I mean, Obviously, there's some cases like Tyler Cook, who was considered was considering going to the NBA after his sophomore year, came back, went after his junior year. Tyler Cook kind of felt the guy, felt like a guy to me who wasn't really planning on be a four-year guy once he got to college, kind of wanted to maybe play two or three years, see what the NBA was, see what the NBA said about him, and then go. Um, but you have guys like Aaron Ewlis, Tony Perkins, who Josh Ogundele, Ken Keegan Murphy or Keegan Murray, um, Chris Murray. got those five, those five guys are very likely to stay four or five years in Iowa City, which obviously can really really help you build a team around them because you want those four year guys. You want to be able to stack classes and be able to be flexible um, with different classes too because you know that these guys are going to be able to stay and want to stick around. Um, so I think that just makes it so much more important, too, that we see Iowa doesn't really get those those four, those high four star, high four-star, five high five-star guys, and they're really getting these guys that they feel are underrated and can really come in and not necessarily make a huge impact right away, but can get progressively better every year. Maybe play five minutes a game freshman year, play 10, 12 minutes sophomore year, become maybe a six man or something like that their third year and then turn into a really good big 10 player that by the time their senior year um excuse me one of the guys that i think i think you kind of trace it to is i know this is an iowa related but you see a guy like ryan Klein at purdue a couple years ago didn't really play much freshman year played sparingly a sophomore year played a lot more senior year, and then was one of the Big Ten's most dangerous offensive weapons and maybe two-way player his senior year. You get guys like that in your program, you're, you're in business in the Big Ten.
0: Yeah, I know you bring up an interesting point there too. And, Sean, something I think that's really become prominent over the past couple of years in terms of building a program, those one-and-done, I mean, obviously the one-and-done programs will always do well, but who really contends? It's the guys that stay for three or four years. Look at what Jay Wright's done with Villanova. Uh, Look at what Tony Bennett's done with Virginia. I mean, these are guys who stay in the system. These are experienced guys, and experience has proven. You can experience now wins again in college basketball. That one done era, it's obviously not done. They're always going to compete. But experience is really starting to go a long way in college basketball. And I I think something worth highlighting, too, when you talk about Keegan and Chris Murray, diehard Iowa fans, and I – Believe that just plays a factor because there's an extra pride factor in any school. I'm not even talking about just Iowa, but a home state kid grew up rooting for a team. They, you know, they play for that team. There's always that extra chip. There's always that extra drive. There's always that extra motivation. And you know, they have a lot of people that doubt them. But uh, you wrote an article, I think about a month ago, where you talked to the the, the head coach down at DME Academy. They had 40, 30 to forty D1 coaches at their practices scouting them, but they had already committed to Iowa. They did it before their, their post-grad year. I mean, these guys are really motivated and they really kind of transform their bodies and they can shoot and they have good size. So I'm really interested to see how they kind of stack up against actual Big Ten, you know, competition in terms of just even Iowa players in practice. And you talk about a guy who, who I think would have exploded his senior year in terms of stock, in terms of offers. Tony Perkins, runner-up Mr. Indiana Basketball, playing the toughest conference. Obviously, you you got a chance to watch him live a couple times. Tony Perkins, if you want athleticism in your backcourt, you got Joe Toussaint and Tony Perkins. I don't think you're – and even Aaron Uless, you're not really going to have to worry about athleticism in the backcourt of Iowa anymore because Perkins – Perkins is probably going to catch a few bodies on some posters during his Iowa career. Obviously, Josh hogan Daly will be a little bit more of a project I think needs to drop you – know, I think a little bit more weight, but that he's done a really good job of that over the past couple of years. But he's a guy – who might be able to step out, hit some threes, a bigger body in the post. He'll get a chance to, you know, potentially learn from Luca Garza and Jack Nunji. So when Iowa needs him to contribute, I think he'll be able to step up to the challenge. But I think there's a really good freshman class. I think it's very undervalued. Obviously there's a lot of question marks, but uh, I do think Iowa fans should be pretty pleased with what Fran McCaffrey and and company guy in the fold. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Yeah, I mean, and before we go on to our next topic, Dave, speaking of Ogundale, um, I think Luka Garza coming back not only would be good for this team, Iowa fans, and just their chances of getting back to the NCAA tournament and really making a run at it, but I think it'd be a blessing in disguise for Josh because I do feel he could play in the Big Ten, but I don't think he's... I mean, I'm not the coach, obviously. I haven't seen what the head coaches think, the coaching staff at Iowa thinks or whatever, but I don't know if he's ready to really take on that role to be a guy who – play who to be a backup big man right away. I mean, he's going to be the third guy, second or third. I mean, maybe a backup to Garza, but I think he'll be more of a third guy with Nunji. You prefer to have Nunji at the five rather than Josh at this point, if you know what I mean, mm-hmm. um, just for the sake of – His body, I mean, he'll work on it this summer, of course, but we don't really know what's going to happen with everything going on in terms of workouts and whether or not they can get him in. Um, And just for the sake, I think there's some other small pieces that he needs to work on. He needs to become more of a versatile rebounder. He's more of just an area rebounder right now. Gets good position, but he's really kind of focused in around the basket. can't really get the rebounds outside of his range um needs to improve his outside shot I mean obviously he doesn't have to improve his outside shot but as we know big men today are really dependent on that outside shot and helping them expand their game and I think Josh is listed at about six ten, maybe so I was thinking maybe he was like 6-8 when Iowa started recruiting but I think he's put on a couple more inches part of that's his hair too the little fro <laughs> he's got going on um but I think just having a guy like Luca Garza in front of him where you can kind of take that pressure off of Josh and his development and really let him grow into himself is going to be huge for him.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, we have plenty of time to talk about this, but uh, to kind of wrap up the discussion, I mean, look, Iowa has not been to a sweet 16 since 1999. This is the best team frame McCaffrey's ever had in his coaching career. This is the best team Iowa's probably had in my lifetime in terms of expectations, in terms of talent, in terms of experience. I think I was the second most experienced team in the big 10. I think only Wisconsin, uh, is ahead of them, but you know, Wisconsin's returning about everybody too. And they took a share of the big 10 title this year. So we'll, we'll see what happens with Wisconsin. We'll see what happens with Iowa, but you know, Carver Hawkeye is going to be pretty full. And I think Iowa's schedule is going to be, you thought last year was difficult. I think it's going to be a lot more difficult this year. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Iowa got a Duke matchup in the ACC Big Ten challenge. I wouldn't be surprised if Iowa Creighton matchup against each other in the Gavit games, which I've been, you know, almost an advocate for because those two offenses going back and forth, I think would be just insanely entertaining basketball. And I think Iowa fans and Creighton fans uh, should want it, maybe play it in Des Moines, maybe a neutral location. Uh, Might be kind of fun, but uh, you know, obviously Sean, what we'll, get a chance to touch on this, you know, in this upcoming week, we'll have a bunch of coverage of it. But the NFL draft starting, um, you know, obviously a couple of Iowa guys looking to go first round. Obviously Tristan Wirfs, I think could be a top five pick. I think he should be a top five pick. Obviously uh, there's been a report out today that the New York Giants are starting to kind of zero in on Tristan Wirfs, but could also trade back and kind of maybe get him a little bit down the list. I think the Giants are also, in on Isaiah Simmons from Clemson, the incredibly versatile player who might be the number one overall prospect in the uh, in the 2020 class, even ahead of Chase Young and Joe Burrow. But, you know, wh- where do you think kind of Tristan ends up in terms of just – do you think it was top ten, top five? I think at least from what I'm reading and kind of what I've started to gather, and, you know, now that people aren't questioning Tristan's athleticism anymore, which was just a dumb argument to begin with, which was really funny to me. Uh, do you think Tristan could be the first offensive tackle to go off the board? Because I, I, I certainly think so.
1: Yeah, and I think that's what a lot of mock drafts have met too. And I think NFL teams believe that he's the best offensive tackle in the draft, no doubt. Um, you just look at the way, how balanced he is, how much he's improved, um, pass blocking, run blocking, every, every area, um, how versatile he is, too. I think that was a big thing that someone talked about yesterday in a mock draft or and report, whatever projection that I read that one of the things that NFL teams like so much about Tristan is that he's versatile. He can play left guard, or he can play left tackle, right tackle. You can move him inside the guard, whatever you need, he can do it. Um, obviously too big to play center, but four out of the five spots on the offensive line that he can play isn't, isn't anything to scoff at. So I definitely think he's the best guy in the draft um, in terms of offensive tackles, I think. New York Giants picking him at four really makes a lot of sense. I like can see him going to eight. Um, I it's been back and forth between four and eight, but I think depending on what the Giants do, I think he's that's where he's probably gonna end up going. Yeah, you know, it's interesting
0: too. You go to NFL.com and they compare him to Brian Bulaga, which is kind of just funny because it's another former Iowa offensive tackle. Uh not a bad comparison, I think, but yeah, you know, I think Tristan, I mean, it runs a four eight, five forty. 36 and a half vertical. I mean, the guy is just vicious, 6'5", 320 pounds. Uh, and, I, you know, something I think people are overlooking a little bit, not the scouts but in terms of just people on the outside, Sean, he's barely 21 years old. He just turned 21. He's a true junior, started as a true freshman, the only offensive tackle, true freshman offensive tackle to start in the Kirk Ferentz era. He's got a lot of experience. His best football is definitely ahead of him. And you know he's going to impress you in in interviews. I mean, we got a chance to talk to him, you know, throughout the last couple of years. Genuine kid, very well spoken, uh, really just incredibly a really nice kid. Uh, but he's he's about to go make some major bank there. I do think he'll be the first guy off the board. You know, I think I think the biggest thing, Sean, we we uh, the biggest wild card, which is kind of weird to think that this is the biggest wild card for Iowa in the draft is. <laughs> where's AJ Finesse going to go? Because there's been a lot of questions after his NFL combine about AJ's athletic upside, where he can go. We got a chance to ask Kirk Ferentz uh, last, I think this week or last, late last week about his thoughts surrounding it. And he's kind Kirk kind of said what a lot of us have been saying about a lot of other uh, past Iowa products. You know, I think of Desmond King. He just said at some point, you got to just not look at the numbers. Look at the tape. Look at the tape. Look at who he's matching up against. Look at – the USC offense tackle Austin Jackson's projected first round and A.J. Epinesa tormented him during the Holiday Bowl. Uh, but, you know, at some point I think the film's got to pay off. But, Sean, do you think – what was kind of A.J. bring the table and do you think that A.J. is still going to be a first-round guy? Because I I just – I have a hard time wrapping my mind around the fact that he could drop to a second round pick, especially since there was a lot of top five projections for him before this season. And he still had a great season.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think what you're getting with AJ is much like Tristan. I mean, he brings, it's like a normal Iowa guy. Like he just brings a lot to the table on and off the field. Um, He's strong. He's got good technique. He's very versatile um obviously we saw him play more on the outside during his time at Iowa freshman year was playing in on third downs um and also kind of Kelvin Bell we kind of saw him switch him up here and there saw him play inside a few times and he was pretty disruptive obviously wasn't as disruptive as he was on the edge but still kind of brought that disruptive um, motor and attitude to the inside of the line um and I think I know a lot of people have kind of talked about the measurables and what he did to combine. Obviously it didn't help his cause, but I think like the same thing with works. Like once you talk to the guy, he's going to be, he's going to win you there. Like he's going to be, he's going to win you at the interviews. Um, very well spoken, very down to earth, um, really knowledgeable about the game. Of football loves the game of football is the guy that's going to bring it for you every day. Um, obviously there's some tiny things he needs to work on. Um, but honestly, when you look and you look at him, you look at kind of his skill set and what he brings. He checks he checks almost every box. I mean, there's not really much that he needs to work on. I mean, I know I s- said it before, but I think there's still – he's a guy that you can take a chance on, which is kind of hard for me to say, like taking a chance on a guy like AJ Vanessa, who is probably one of the most dominant defensive ends in college football, if not the most dominant, along with Chase Young. Um, I think he's a guy that – you could see going the mid first round because I think one team is going to trust and be able to see what kind of Kirk said and be like, Hey, like you got to turn on the tape and see what he brings because he may not be the elite athlete in terms of how high he jumps or his 40 or his shuttle or his five ten five 5 whatever they call that stuff. Um, but he's a guy that's going to bring it, he's going to bring it every day, whether that be practice, game, training camp. Off-season workouts, what have you? Um, mm-hmm. He's gonna—he brings a lot to the table, and that's what you want in a guy that you can build kind of a defense around. And this is not the
0: greatest example of peer dominance, Sean. But I mean, the last month of this season, I think he had eight and a half sacks. He's still a second-team All-American, and you know, in terms of just seeing a guy take over a game, I mean, you, you look at the Iowa-Nebraska game from this year. Again, it's Nebraska; their offensive line is not fantastic. But A.J. really wheel, like willed them to victory. A.J. had 14 tackles, two sacks, a fumble, and five tackles for losses. I mean, that is just unbelievable. And he just completely took over the game, especially in that second half. And he did that with, you know, against a running quarterback. And that makes it even more impressive than, you know, people have talked about, you know, his his bench, that is his bench they had at the combine. He had 17 reps, which did take me by surprise until you kind of take a step back and you really think about it, Sean, AJ has got really long arms and the power is not in his biceps. It's it's just not his power is in his forearms. He has extremely violent hands, especially when you watch him just shed off wimpy blockers, uh, you know, especially thought that last month, the season, he's a guy who's going to rack up, I think a good number of sacks in the NFL. I think he's hungry. I think, you know, obviously I do think there's a little bit of an athleticism curve to some extent, but he's an incredibly versatile athlete. I mean, he was a a discus thrower in high school. He played thousand point score in basketball. I mean, he, this guy can do a lot of good things athletically. So I do think that there's still an upside, despite what he showed at the combine. I do think if Iowa ended up having a pro day that he, uh, he would have improved upon those numbers. So I think he's going to go late first round. I think a team, like you mentioned, I think a team's going to just like him too much. I think his tape doesn't lie. And, uh, you know, Iowa linemen typically churn out well in the NFL. So, I, just, you know, it's not like a Desmond King situation where he's not going to drop that far. And the whole Desmond King thing still boggles my mind that he dropped a, as far as he did. But, you know, speaking of defensive back, Sean, we'll, we'll touch on these guys quickly before we head all over to Nate Stanley, who I really think has improved his draft stock over the last month. But another guy that's really improved his draft stock, it, Michael Ojemudia might go in the first 100 picks, Sean. I mean, he, his 4'4", four, 5'40", four, got great wingspan. He's got a lot of experience. Uh, it's crazy because I think before the combine, he was, what, a projected sixth or seventh-round pick?
1: Yeah, I mean, that sounds about right. I mean, probably four or five um, if you're talking ones that were more generous. But, yeah, I mean, OJ – really physical player he's long he's big he's got a good build to him obviously needs to work on kind of becoming a more reliable tackers tackler especially in the open field but i mean he's got the coverage skills that you want in an nfl defensive back um josh edwards of cbs sports suggested that some teams that make sense for him are cl seahawks san francisco mm-hmm. 49ers minnesota vikings and cleveland browns um i mean he suggested that these teams like guys of the Josh Jackson, Michael Ojemudia bill, where they're more longer line – or more kind of longer defensive backs um, that really can make up for maybe initial errors on the press or bad reads that they can make up for with their length and athletic ability. Um, And I think that's something that really – that fits OJ's mold for sure. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think – but like what you said, Dave, the third-round buzz is coming about, and I think he kind of fits – kind of that third round defensive back um under the radar guy you kind of like okay like you know about him if you play him but maybe if you don't play him you're kind of like who is this guy um Mm -hmm. he's a little older too so maybe that that hurts a couple um team's chances early kind of really rubs people the wrong way in in a sense but mature kid it's gonna bring it like we said with Epinesa and where it's come from Iowa, that's always something good. Something all these NFL teams look for is what program you come from. Um, Yeah. He's, he's a guy that obviously you're, he's got a high upside to him. I think, or I wouldn't say high upside. I think he's got a high floor to him in Mm. the sense that you're going to get like what you expect and what you expect is like high enough where you're like, okay, this guy can make contributions upside is like okay this guy's gonna be really good eventually but we don't see it yet like Mm -hmm. oj is like he's gonna be productive right away i think
0: yeah you know it's kind of crazy to think about if he goes in that top 100 picks third round i mean i'll go back to desmond king desmond king went pick 151 uh so that's just it's just crazy you know i think that people overread the analytics at times and just you gotta turn on the tape who he's doing it against and you know i don't know i i i'll still never understand that decision but Uh, really quickly, uh, Geno Stone, I think, and again, there's just a lot of wild cards to this Iowa class. Geno Stone, obviously, I thought he was a great leader for the Iowa backfield this year. I thought he was a good open field tackler, made some very athletic plays, but I think the size goes against him. I think there's an athletic, you know, there's kind of an athletic cap with Geno Stone. And, you know, I think that's what worries a lot of NFL teams. But again, he's on the tape, his coverage skills are pretty solid. Uh, made winning plays, did slip up once or twice, but he's a guy who I think can make a difference on special teams and maybe in some sub-packages. And really quickly, before I forget, too, I meant to talk about last quick thing on Ojemudia. Uh, I think the Seahawks make a lot of sense. I think the 49ers make a lot of sense because he is a guy where, if you talk about having a high floor, it's all – the NFL, it's a lot about fit. You know, the NBA, I think, it's not really. I think at times it can be. But the NFL, it's a lot of just scheme. What's your skill set? Do you fit it? And I think Ojemudio would fit a, a Seahawks scheme. I think he would fit a lot of those zone teams instead of the man-to-man teams, uh, which would be interesting to see how he does. But Geno Stone, I think, is going to go in the fourth or fifth round. I think that, you know, I, I think he'd be a good value pick there. Uh, and it's one of those things, too, Sean, where I think even you and I kind of talked about this. We kind of questioned why Geno left. I think a lot of people did. But, you know, when you look at his tape, you look at his numbers, you look at his, his athleticism, you look at his size. I mean, there really wasn't a chance that Gino was probably gonna improve upon his draft stock after the kind of year that he had. Uh so I think it made a lot of sense for him to go. I mean, what what do you think? Should he have gone? Uh what what you have anything else to add on about his game? I mean, he again, it just seems like I really don't know how much more his stock could have improved. So I understand why he decided to go and skip his senior year.
1: Yeah, I think that, that makes a lot of sense. He's kinda like OJ Moody in the sense where I think his floor is maybe higher than his ceiling in terms of um, or you look at a guy you're like okay his floor like what he's going to bring right away is more impactful than maybe what he's what he can develop into if that makes sense um, he's got tools that you want I mean yeah the height kind of hurts him in a sense but he's a physical defensive back um, I haven't seen many comparisons to him that I can really really kind of attest him to or like really mm-hmm. like make yeah i don't know i'm having a feel, hard time feel with, comfortable with it <laughs> yeah <I'm laughs> like feel a hard comfortable
0: time. with the comparison
1: right yeah i'm having a hard time with words this morning um so yeah i mean i think like I like Edward said too i think tackling is going to be something for him i know people kind of gave him some flack for that uh gave josh some flack for that but i do think there were times where gino kind of missed a tackle here or there made Kind of a split decision, like a poor read on some things, but I mean that's going to come natural. But I think when you when you're a guy with his size, who's not necessarily the longest guy, um, people kind of notice those misreads more than you would if you're like a guy like Ojib Mudiay who's great length.
0: Yeah, and you know it's interesting when you talk about not being able to find a comparison. I just went to NFL.com to see if they, you know, they usually do the NFL comparisons. There was no comparison for Geno Stone. <laughs> so it's gonna be kind of a wild card there. But really quickly before we kind of wrap things up and get into some uh, some of our questions from people, uh Sean Nate Stanley, uh he really might have improved his draft stock a lot over the past you know month. He obviously you wrote a story yesterday after the report that he had the highest Wonderlick test score among quarterbacks at, at 40 out of 50, which is a really, really good score. Uh, And obviously the work that he's done with Tony Rassiopi and really quick plug. If you have not listened to Sean's interview with Tony Rassiopi, Nate Stanley's quarterback coach, I would highly recommend it. Good stuff from him and really just kind of good candid conversation about Nate Stanley's development and kind of what Tony does. Um, But yeah, you know, Nate Stanley, I think he's obviously going to impress you in interviews and his professionalism and he's going to be a good leadership guy. And there's a lot of intangible tools there. It's just about fixing some of that consistency and seeing what his upside is. Uh, But Sean, I mean, Nate might have put himself in third or fourth round discussion after the kind of month that he's had.
1: No, no doubt. I mean, you look at him too. People, it's it's different with quarterbacks. I mean, it's kind it's kind of the same with some of these other skill players. Like you can get guys that maybe play early, but quarterbacks, you kind of you're cause you draft them because you want to develop them. You want to develop in your system. You don't pick a quarterback because you're like, oh, we can trade this guy like right away down the line, he could be a good, like solid piece to trade. But when you draft a quarterback, like that's the biggest thing. I mean, like fit, like we see Patrick Mahomes, like I know Bears fans hate to think about this, but do you think Patrick Mahomes would be putting up the numbers and be a legitimate NFL MVP if he were in Chicago? Um, I don't think so. Because I think the way they run that offense in Kansas City is perfect for his play style. um I think that's happened, too, with a couple other quarterbacks that have been really successful. I mean, you look at Matt Ryan. Obviously, I think he could have been successful in either system, but, yeah, whatever. Um, Tom Brady, perfect fit for him. Aaron Rodgers had a couple years, number of years, behind Brett Favre in Green Bay, and look what mm-hmm. he became. I think Stanley obviously won't be – I don't think he can become the type of NFL grace of all time – I mean, I'm not calling Aaron Rodgers the greatest of all time should by be. any means. But he no, he be. Sean. No, he sh- no, he shouldn't. No, he shouldn't. He should not. Mitchell Trubisky should be the greatest of all time, but he's really let me down, <laughs> let everybody down. has been absolutely trash. But um, Stanley's a guy that I think can isn't going to be in the conversation for a starting role right away. I think it's going to take him. The best thing for him is going to be able to sit behind a guy for two or three years maybe they retire a veteran guy um maybe they get traded um and then mm-hmm. stanley is able to take up that role kind of like what aaron Rodgers did um or even like a jimmy garoppolo almost um sure and just that he sat behind veteran quarterbacks that were really successful and look what he did i mean i think chicago's the team that there's been some talk about him obviously i don't know if you want to sit behind those guys um <laughs> Uh, I think Atlanta, too, is another one. Detroit. Um, those are ones that Josh kind of mentioned um, that could take him on day three. But, I mean, I don't think he'll be a day two guy. I think day three makes a lot more sense. But I was kind of leaning towards maybe the sixth or seventh round, mainly mostly sixth. But I could see maybe like a fourth or fifth round pick really taking him.
0: I mean, I talked about Epinesa being the biggest wild The biggest wild cards are the Iowa bunch, but I think Nate Stanley is the biggest wild card because I, I mentioned to you, I think before the before we started this, Sean, I could see him going third round. I wouldn't be shocked. I could see him going seventh round. I'm not gonna be shocked. The only way I'll be shocked is if he does not get drafted. But I think there's too much size. There's too much upside for Nate, so I do think he'll. Um, I think I think he's gonna go. I think I think fifth round. That, that's my final pick. I think he'll go fifth round. Uh, I don't want to say to who because, honestly, I, I don't know who's going to go to. I think there are a number of teams uh, that could take him. But we'll we'll just have to wait and see. Obviously, com will have the latest on all of that. So we do have a couple of questions here, Sean, before we kind of wrap things up. And, you know, first one's kind of interesting because we haven't really seen the guys play. But <laughs> it's an it's an interesting question to think about. We've debated this, I think, once or twice before. Uh, Elijah Yelverton or Luke Lachey, who has the better career at Iowa? And he mentions he thinks they're both going to be great. Uh, Sean, I'll start with you because I, I'm i really – I've gone back and forth on this because I do think Yelverton was a little bit undervalued uh, by the scouting services. He's a high three-star. I think he should have been a low four-star, but there's a lot of upside there with him.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't really want to, like, peg, like, this guy's going to have a better career than this guy, I think. They're both going to be NFL draft picks. Let's say that. <laughs> I think, I do think eventually down the line, this is going to be one of the most dangerous one-two tight end punches in college football. Um, I think. I don't know how early they're going to play. Obviously, you got a guy like Sam Laporta who mm-hmm. could have a breakout year this year and be like a considerate or be like an actual like NFL prospect going into his junior year. Um, and maybe taking that route, and that leaves the door open for maybe even guys like Josiah Meehman or Luke Lachey and Elijah Yelverton to get more snaps and be a starter. Obviously, there's a lot that can change in these three to four years, three, four, five years that they're in college. So I think it's kind of early. I mean, it is early to tell, but uh, I don't know. It's tough. Yeah, like I think Elijah – I mean, I've been talking a lot about ceiling and floor today – Um, I think Elijah's floor is higher than Lachey's at this point. Um, I do think Lachey's going to be a really good tight end at Iowa. I think his upside's a little higher right now, just in terms of, like, his athletic ability and what he did. I mean, don't get me wrong, Elijah's a great athlete. But some of the dunks that Lachey threw down during the basketball season were just incredible. And just the way he was able to play quarterback, too, at times, defensive back like, just play almost every position on the field and be absolutely dominant, um, really speaks to me. Um, Topped off with his skills as a tight end and just the way he could throw it down a basketball. um, I think you got to look at that and be like, okay, like, this guy can be a really, really good receiving tight end, really open vertical threat, um, Mm -hmm. which, I mean, Iowa, like, Noah Fant type almost, a downfield threat. And then – Blocking is going to be a big thing with him, too. He needs to work on his body a little bit. Um, he's kind of shaped like a wide receiver right now, but if you can put on like maybe 20, 25 more pounds of muscle, then that's going to be something to look out for. But like I said, blocking is going to be huge with him. Elijah really kind of fits the mold of a tight end right now, um, a college tight end, Iowa tight end, but he's going to put on a little more weight, um, which I'm sure he has helped. I mean, with the little time that he got with the coaches during the – because he early enrolled. Um, Mm -hmm. We thought this was going to be just a huge time for him to really even compete for some snaps next year. Yeah. So I think that's going to be something to look out for too. Obviously, it hurts him, guy like Mason Richmond and Gavin Williams. But I think this spring – this spring period is what hurts Elijah the most of those three. Um, So to get back on your question, I think – yeah, I don't know if I can answer that. <laughs> it's it's I no, I mean both. it's
0: it's tough, dude.
1: Yeah, like I just I just don't know. Like two maybe months ago, I would have said Lush or before. Yeah, I don't know. I can't answer it. It's too much. It's
0: it's it's tough and like it's it's
1: it's bad because like you're not trying to incriminate
0: either player because they're yeah. both really good prospects. I think you summed it up pretty well. And look, I hate I hate using this comparison, but if you're talking about raw skill sets, I mean I think Luke Lachey fits a Noah Fant mold, because Noah Fant could throw down some dunks in high school too. I mean he was he was dirty. My uh one of my good friends played on the same uh same played for the same AAU program as Noah Fant. And uh he just said some of the dunks he threw down in practice were, you know, absurd. Um but you know, I think Elijah like you mentioned, I think Elijah Yelverton could have competed for playing time. Uh, you know, this season had spring football and all this madness not really happened. Uh, I do think Elijah, and again, I hate using this because I think Elijah's raw skill sets like a TJ Hawkinson too. He's got to improve on blocking, but if you're talking about just Noah Fant, I hate you doing that. Cause it's not fair to either one of them in that pressure, but in terms of raw skill sets, that's where the skill sets are. Are they at the level of those two guys? No, but they have some good skill sets there. And you mentioned being the, you know, number one and two, one of the best one-two punches in college football in terms of tight ends. I think that's a very realistic possibility. I think they'll both end up being draft picks. Uh, very high upside. Yelverton had 30-plus offers. Luke Lachey, Luke Lachey was uh, All-American, pursued by a lot of people. Um, didn't get an Ohio State offer, which was, you know, interesting to a lot of people. A lot of Ohio State fans really wanted him, obviously because his father was a, a Buckeye great and it's still a very big part of that program. <sighs> You know, he also
1: he also I, had a, he had a basketball offer from Bowling Green too.
0: That's right. And you know, something I did mention, I wanted to mention too, Sean was I think 24 seven, our national desk wrote an article about football prospects that would do a great job in a dunk contest. And Luke Lachey was on that list. He was one of the first guys on that list. So, I mean, it's no joke. The Duke can throw down some dunks and he posted a few kids this year, uh, during the basketball season. Uh, but in short, again, it's a very politically correct answer, I think, for both of us. But they're both going to be really good. They're just both good prospects. And it wouldn't surprise me. I think Luke's going to redshirt this year. I think he'll get a four-game limit. I, like you mentioned, I think there's just too much blocking. He needs to learn. I think he's got to put on a little bit of weight. But I think it'd be good to give him some maybe late game run, uh, if possible, give him a couple of receptions, build up that confidence. And like you mentioned, we really don't know, you know – how quickly these guys will compete for time. Obviously Sean Beyer enters as number one or number two, I think number two. Uh, but Sam Laporta is in position to have a breakout year in college football in terms of the tight end position. I think he's a really solid player. I think a lot of, you know, he's got a lot of buzz right now among the fan base and rightfully so after the last six games he had of the season. So, you know, again, very politically correct answer, but look, they both got high upsides. Uh, another one, Any position – I'll let you kind of take the reins on this one, Sean, but any positions you think Iowa really needs badly in the 2021 class? I I have an early idea, but I'm interested to see kind of what what you think.
1: Uh, I don't know about bad. I mean, obviously I think wide receiver is something that will need to be addressed with Amir and Brandon Smith leaving. Um, Obviously Brody Breck's the top guy at the board. Skylar Bell from the Taft School in Connecticut's up there as well, but he's more of a kind of a slot guy. Arlen Bruce, who could play running back, but I think Iowa wants him as a wide receiver. That comes to mind. I mean, quarterback, they're still looking for there, but I think they're set at the quarterback position for a couple of years. Um yeah, I mean, offensive line's shaping up to be really good. Defensive line's gonna be pretty good. I mean, the twenty twenty class definitely gives them a little more like, flexibility to work with. I mean, obviously, those guys aren't proven yet, but you got to love the potential of them. Um, Linebackers are set. I don't – I mean,
0: wide receiver.
1: Yeah, wide receiver, I think, will be interesting because you want those guys on the outside, those taller guys. Um, Brecht, I mean, you have Calvin Lockett already in the program. Um, Desmond Hudson made some noise uh, this during, like, spring or during uh fall camp. Uh Kirk Ferrance was really high on him. Um so I mean you got guys on the outside, but I think you want to get another one too just to be safe. And I think Brecht is such a big guy for that because I mean he's an in state guy, grew up big Iowa fan, obviously is exploring the option of playing baseball too, but football is going to be the main thing for him. And he's a guy that I don't think can make an impact on day one. But is a guy that if you get in the program for long enough can really become an all-conference caliber receiver like Amir Smith-Marset, Brandon Smith?
0: Yeah, you know, I, I, that was my early pick too because I think the secondary, if you got Cooper DeGene in the fold already, I think that's huge. Obviously, in the secondary, you got Jordan Oladokun, who I think will be could be a potential ranking riser. The offensive line could shape up to be one of the best in, in the country, especially if they get David Coff. David uh, number 59, overall recruit by 24-7 sports. And his NFL comparison is, you know, to a guy, you know, Iowa fans might be familiar with and Brandon Scherf. Uh, so <laughs> Iowa fans would love to get him in the fold. But, yeah, you know, I think wide receiver, I think, like you mentioned, Amir Smith, Marcet, Brand Smith, I think could both end up being NFL draft picks, late-round guys. Uh, Iowa's going to need production out there. Obviously, like you mentioned, Desmond Hudson made some noise uh in fall camp but obviously he ended up redshirting. I think that was the correct decision um we'll see what happens the Calvin Lockett I'm interested you know how he's kind of developed under the radar and I'm interested to see where you know where Oliver Martin will fit in the fold for the next couple of seasons because he's still got two seasons of eligibility left but you know Iowa will be I think held in good hands they got Nico Regani for a couple more years they got uh Tyrone Tracy who I think could be an all-conference player easily I mean even as early as this year I I'm very I've always been very high on on Tyrone Tracy and his ability he's just got you know clean up some of the bad drops but I think wide receiver right now is the biggest thing but I will say in terms of in comparison to past years Iowa's in better position to land more top targets at wide receiver than they've been in the past years and I think Iowa you know seeing Brandon Smith and Amir Smith-Marset develop and and all of that's really going to help them and look I'll say this too, and this is going to be a way out there pick. I mean, a lot of people will disagree with me in terms of position needs because we ended up just talking about it. I'm going to say tight end, but hear me out. Iowa's depth and everything is, is tremendous. But if you get Yelverton, you get Lachey, and you get in-state Thomas Fedoni in the mix, who's the number one tight end in the 2021 class, that room is just riddled with un, like, potential talent and natural ability and if you keep that tight end you alive that's three nfl draft picks right there so i'm you know i i think that you know i think fedoni right now is the number one target on the board uh i'd even maybe throw brody brecht in the mix uh quarterback i think you need to i do think you need to throw in just because if you have you have deuce hogan you have alex padilla and you got spencer petrus obviously but you really want three or four guys in the room to take one quarterback at class but as you mentioned it's not really the most pressing need right now but it's still important to get you know those guys in the fold uh all right so sean we got a couple more questions here and we'll wrap this up uh without spring practice do you think iowa transfers will be lower and will be forced to take a smaller recruiting class
1: uh wait rephrase that question
0: so basically without you know spring practice is a time where people really either transfer out because they learn where they really are on the depth chart, but because of no spring practice, do you think that less people transfer out of Iowa and now force Iowa to take a smaller recruiting class?
1: <laughs> it's a tough question. Yeah. I,
0: you know, it's I mean, one of those things where you, you talk about, it depends on if the one-time transfer rule takes effect, because I think that's going to be a huge factor if they, if they vote on that and players are allowed to transfer once, Then no, because I think people transfer out when summer workouts and, you know, if there's a fall camp, if that happens, then I think people really start to learn where they are.
1: Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, I think, I think people are going to be, I do think people are going to be more willing to stick around, but I don't know how it will impact the recruiting class because I think team like that scholarship stuff tends to work itself out. So I think maybe it's like a one or two like player difference, maybe depending on recruiting. Um, I can't really think of any scholarship players or speculate any scholarship players that are like considering transferring out at this moment in time. Um, so I think maybe like maybe like one or two different more or less players in the class I think makes sense you know what I mean Mm -hmm.
0: yeah I think I think you hit the nail on the head right when you said that the uh the scholarship situation will always work itself out I mean it it really always does um so I I think that's a simple answer and as far as I, I think you you bring up a good point in terms of You know, I think people are going to stick around, at least for the foreseeable future, maybe not before the season, but for the next couple of months, because there's just so much uncertainty with the one-time transfer rule, with the coronavirus and everything that's impacting, the timeline of college football, everything else. Uh, But, you know, I do think it can make a one to two, maybe three-player difference. But I mean, we've seen a number of guys transfer out over the past, past couple of seasons, and it's not an Iowa problem. I mean, it, it, it's just college athletics. It happens. It's a good question, but I, I, I think maybe one or two players, it'll, it'll impact maybe more. But, again, it, it ends up working itself out. Uh, Sean, we'll, we'll kind of wrap this up. And it's something that, uh, I, you know, I hate speculating, but I'll, I'll answer the question, but I'll let, you, I'll let you take the lead on this. Of the three, what's more, more what is most likely to happen – Season's canceled, conference-only schedule, 2020-year play in
1: 2021. Um, I'll go with C, play in 2021. I know A is off the table. B is one that I've, like, con- kind of gone back and forth with. But you look at it and, it's like, that impacts kind of the FCS programs and the group of five teams um, that get to play these Power Five opponents. So I think maybe they'll get, like, one or two. I mean, that's interesting, though, because what do you do? Like, do you play the hawk or no?
0: I I don't think you would. Another thing, too, Sean, is that would impact Notre Dame because Notre Dame's an independent. So what does Notre Dame do? And I'll tell you one thing. College football is not going to screw over Notre Dame because of the brand it has. There's no chance on that. So I, I think it's it, there's a lot of interesting factors uh, that,
1: that would play into that. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't, I didn't think about that. Um, so I think you go, I think you start in 2021, but maybe you lower the conference schedule. But I don't know. I've thought about maybe just doing conference and no non-conference, but I don't know. That's tough.
0: It, it's tough. And like, and that's the thing that so many people have to figure out. And I, I by the way, I do agree with you. I think 2020 playing 2021 is the most likely but i cuz first of all i think season canceled is off the table and not because it, the unsafe conditions or not because of the other factors the reason why i think it's off the table it will screw college athletics for the foreseeable future maybe in the next decade because of how much lost revenue it will it, you know it'll take a hit because college football drives college athletics it is the driving force behind all the non revenue sports even not basketball because basketball will still make a few million dollars, but college football makes what ninety, maybe ninety five percent of the overall money, maybe more. Like it, it that is what drives, especially power five sport teams drives everything. So I think, excuse, I think cancels off table conference only. Sure, uh, maybe they do a delayed start. Maybe they start in in October uh, and go till December, then play the bowl games in January. And it's interesting because if they go 2020, they play 2020 or in 2021, well, what when do you play in 2021? We asked Kirk about this a couple weeks ago, and again, like last week. I know he he said they could do it, but I'll tell you what, Sean, I have a hard time believing they could play 24 college football games in a calendar year. I mean, that just seems incredibly dangerous. It's all dangerous, but... You know, I mean, what do you do if a guy tears like tears, you know, tears an ACL in the first game of the season of the 2020 season? Well, he misses two seasons of eligibility then, because he's not going to come back in six months. Yeah, some guys can, but the majority of people aren't going to be able to do that, so they miss two years of eligibility. It it opens up a giant can of worms, and I just don't see how to really solve that. So, do you make the permanent schedule February to, to May then? Do you really think, you know, people in the Midwest and Big Ten, I mean, look, people are crazy. Iowa fans are crazy. Big Ten football Midwest is crazy. It's why we love them. They'll sell outside, you know, 10-degree weather in February because, you know, it's football. But, man, if you try to get them to do that year after year, I mean, it, it, no. there's so many different factors that play no. a part in this.
1: They're not going to make it year after year. What you do, this is my thing, you start in January, you go till let's see, February or January, February, March, um, April, (sighs) play the national title game in April, early April or March, whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. You then move it, so then you don't with the season, you then push it to maybe be like November the next year, like the start of the season. Then you play November, December, January, February, okay? Mm -hmm. So kind of like the NFL in a sense, but you don't play the first part of the season in september and october then the next year ice man (laughs) yeah and then the next year you just keep pushing it back every month i think that makes sense
0: it'd be an interesting it'd be an interesting scenario to see play out i mean it'd keep us busy for sure because we imagine college basketball college football put together we already had you know deal with that a little bit but man i'll tell you what that would uh I'm going to need a lot more coffee to do that, Sean. Uh, yeah,
1: I need, to, I need to graduate school then. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, you know, it, again, I, I think I think 2020, you're playing 2021. But – and look, again, I hate speculating. I think I think what's going to happen, and I'm the farthest thing from an expert on this, I think they're going to start it in October I, at regular pace, I think. Again, but it also impacts, you know, the Pac-12. L.A. said that they're not going to host events until 2021, so – Look, at some point, there's just going to need to be some solidified policy. There's going to be just need some solidified decisions and unity among all the conferences, among all the cities. I mean, look, it's it's a lot of conversations. I wouldn't want to be a part of because I don't want to make those decisions. So I'm I'm happy to be talking about this rather than be the one to make those decisions. Uh, but yeah, Sean, I think I think that pretty much wraps it up. Uh, so stay tuned to HawkeyeInsider.com for the latest 24/7 sports, for the latest obviously NFL draft coverage. We Coming over the the next couple of weeks, breakdowns of the prospects, uh, you know, when Iowa players get drafted, how they'll fit in, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, continue to turn out, you know, good content to give all of you and outlets uh, during this kind of craziness that we're all kind of just diving headfirst into with with the pandemic. But uh, yeah, until then, we'll we'll see you next time and, and thanks for listening.
1: Thanks, guys.